remain standing. I hope you brought your King James Bible with you this morning. If you did, I'd like for you to turn to Luke chapter number 15. Luke chapter number 15. Luke chapter number 15. If I, one of our folks sees somebody by themselves without a Bible, please kind of move over next to them and help them out, would you please? Appreciate that because we're going to be talking about uh, Bible quite a bit here, all right? Luke chapter number 15. I want to read two verses and then I want to talk to you about something I think is rather important this morning. Luke chapter 15 starting in verse number 1 and verse number 2. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Father, help me please this morning, not for my sake, but for the people's sake and for the cause of Christ. Help me this morning, Lord, to please inform them, help them understand just what is going on in these verses and how it applies to them. Lord, if you'll use me this morning, I would really appreciate that. Again, not for my sake, not for people to think well of me, but I want them to think well of you and well of your word. So help me please this morning to help the people in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you, be seated. Thank you very much. Now I need everybody, I hope you checked your phone to make sure those are turned off. There's always somebody who said, oh, I forgot. Uh, so if you'll do that, I would appreciate that. I want you to notice, listen to me carefully. Listen, fellas, listen. You may want to set in between there. Okay, set right in between there. There, you scoot on down there. Add a girl. Good, thank you very much. And girls, back there, please pay attention to me and listen to me, would you please? Okay, one on that side of mom, one on that side of mom. Both of you listen to me, all right? That's why we come to church. Luke chapter number 15, I want you to notice something before we get into the chapter. In chapter 15, verse number 1, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and the sinners, watch what they did, for to hear him. They wanted to hear what he had to say. The very next verse, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they just murmured. They found fault in what he was doing. They did not come there to hear him. They come there to see what they could criticize what they could talk about, what they found wrong. That's why they showed up. Right after these two verses, you have three parables. Every one of these parables apply to those two verses. I want you to listen very carefully to me this morning. So what you have here is you have the publicans and the sinners. These are, these are acknowledged sinners and publicans. They were tax collectors, and we kind of know about that. So anyway, and uh, we have those people. And then what you have, you have the Pharisees and uh, the scribes, and they come there just to murmur, to complain, to hear what's going on so they could say something about it. They didn't come there seeking any help. They didn't come there to get right with God. They just come there to question and watch and listen so they could have something to talk about or to criticize about. Now, by the way, that's in every crowd. Both of these are in every crowd. Same thing here this morning. But I want you to notice in context... Jesus starts off right after those two verses talking about the sinners and talking about those who didn't come to listen to, to change at all. Then we run into three parables that covers the entire chapter. Now, if you'll follow me instead of doing your own Bible study right now, it would help a lot. 
or whatever. Now, so what you have here, he spake this parable unto them. So he starts off with three parables. Every one of these parables have to do with those two verses. I want you to follow me very carefully as we go through this and see if I, this doesn't make sense to you. Starting in verse number three, and he spake this parable unto them saying, so right after these two verses, sinners, publicans, they come to listen to him. What does this man have to say? Can he help me? Then you have the Pharisees and you have the scribes. They didn't come for help. They didn't come seeking help. They didn't come to learn anything. They come to question, to murmur, to complain, to find fault. So then he starts off and he says this, what man of you having a hundred sheep? Now get the picture. Get the picture. Somebody, there is somebody that has a hundred sheep. And here's what he says. If he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he find it. Now get the picture. We've got a hundred sheep. He shows up, he begins to count. One's missing. So he goes after the one and leaves the 99. Now, who would do that? Why would you leave a group of sheep to go get one sheep? Remember, in context, what he's talking about is verses 1 and 2. He's talking and explaining verse 1 and 2 in all of these parables. You need to understand this. Watch what he says here, verse number 5. And when he found it, he lay it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now watch. Watch this very carefully. Key verse. Ready? I say unto you that likewise, just like, just like this parable he described, shall, uh, likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Watch. More than 90 and 9 just persons that need no repentance. There's some people that don't need repentance. There are, there are some people that are just and they don't need repentance. I thought God died for everybody. I thought the Bible said we all sin and come short of the glory of God. I thought the Bible said there's none good, no, not one. I thought the Bible said God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And yet we find out here there's a bunch of them, 99 of them. So now we see the 100 and we know who the one is. And the Bible specifically says, which needeth no repentance. But above that, he says, likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner. So we have the one sinner and 99 that don't think they need to repent. They are just and do not need to repent. Remember, the key to all of this is verse 1 and 2. He starts off saying, I had these sinners here. I had these, uh, uh, I had these uh, publicans here. And then I had the Pharisees here and I had the scribes here. He goes right into parables. He is describing those two sets of people there. And he's saying, because they said, he's going to go be with sinners. Look, he's talking to sinners. He's hanging around sinners. What's he doing here? They had nothing good to say about it. So he starts into a parable and he says this, which of you having a hundred sheep would not leave the 90 and nine, huh, wonder who he's talking about, and go after the one? Do you know on the day that you got saved, you were the one? You are the one that he left everybody else for because he came after you. Here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about this this morning. You are valuable to God. You are valuable to God. Please understand, in context, in verse number 7, he's saying there was this one that he went after who was a sinner. And there were others, which would be the rest of the crowd, that were just, this would be in their own eyes, and needeth not to repent. He's not saying they were already saved and didn't need to repent. That would not fit the narrative. 
that would not fit in to the context. So he's saying here, I will go after one. I'm not paying attention right now to those that don't need me. I'm not paying attention right now to those that came to question and argue and fuss and fight. There's one out there that needs me, and I'm going after that one. And he said, which of you would not do that same thing? Turn this on. Which of you would not do the same thing? So he, what he's doing is placing a value on one over the crowd. Are you listening to me? God put a value on you. You're very valuable to God. Now, a lot of people wonder, what difference does it make? How valuable could I be a God? I'm a sinner. I, I'm worthless. You don't know the things I've done, preacher, and the places I've been. It's just terrible. And, and, and why would God love me? What, listen, because you're very valuable to God. I'm going to try my best this morning to try to show you some of the worth or value you are to God. And why? You understand there was a hundred sheep. But he said, that one's lost and needs me. The 90 and 9, they're already just. They're not going to repent. So I will leave them and I'm going after the one like I'm talking about the Pharisee or the sinner. The Pharisees were there, but they didn't come there for Jesus. They came there for their own problems, their own narrative, their own what they were after. But the sinners, they come to listen. Jesus said, which of you, just like this, would not leave the 90 and 9 and go after one? The one needs you. They're in danger. They could die out there. They want me. Remember, verse 1 and 2 is what all of this is about. You have to understand you are very valuable to God. The Bible said Jesus come to seek and to save that which was lost. He come to seek. He's searching. The shepherd goes out in the field somewhere and says there's a sheep out here and he's lost and he needs me. Pharisees didn't need him. Scribes didn't need him. But that one that was out there, they needed him. So Jesus, if you would, searched for him. I come to seek and to save that which was lost. Does not leave the 90 and 9 and go after the one sheep that was what? Lost. And there is rejoicing in heaven over one sinner, one sinner in context, one sinner that repenteth more than the 90 and 9 that need no repentance. Are you listening to me? In context, he's talking about two types of people. Those who do not need to repent, those who do not need God, those that do not recognize Jesus Christ, those who only read Bible and study and go to churches to argue their point when they get back on their job or wherever they're at. And then you have others that are just lost and in need of a Savior. In context, he's talking here. So what we have here, we have this first one, we have a hundred to one. Now, a hundred to one, man, that sheep must be pretty valuable. Sheep must be pretty valuable to leave 90 and 9 and go after one. But then he tells us what this is all about. There's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner. When you got saved, there was rejoicing in heaven. Now, if you justify yourself, oh, I'm not that bad, there's no rejoicing in heaven over you, none whatsoever. Nobody's clapping their hands, nobody's singing songs. Jesus isn't smiling because you think you're a good person and do not need repentance. He said, I will leave that because you don't need me, but I'm going to go after that one that's in danger and actually need Remember, in context, verse 1 and 2, he's talking about those that do not need him and criticizing, came to murmur and complain against those that come to listen. I need to find out. I have a need. I come to listen to him. So what we have here is we have a hundred to one. One lost sheep to ninety and nine. And he said, I'm going after that one. And by the way, it says also in verse number seven, over one sinner. Jesus didn't come to save good people. So if you're a good person, he can't save you. Not that he doesn't want to. 
You're too good. You won't let him. You don't need a savior. I remember knocking on doors years ago and asking questions. You talk about the height of pride and arrogancy. And I said, sir, if you're going to heaven, you could be good enough to get to heaven. Why did Jesus die for you? And this man looked at me and said, that's a good question. I have no idea why he had to die for me. And in my head, I'm going, are you kidding me? You're that arrogant? You have that much pride that you actually believe that Jesus didn't have to die for you because you're that good? That's what he's talking about right here. There are 99 here that said, we didn't come to hear about salvation. We didn't come to check out your life. We didn't come to hear what you have to say so we can get right with our God. No, we come here to murmur. We come here to complain. We come here to find out something about you so we can tell other people. But you had these other people. They come to listen. They want to know. And here we have, I'm talking about how valuable you are. Why are you that valuable? Why are we that valuable to God? I mean, think about yourself. We all, like sinners, have gone astray. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We turned everyone to our own way, Isaiah says, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Why would he do this? Why would he leave groups to go after the one? Why would he come to seek and to save that which was lost, not that which is doing good and okay? The Bible says in Romans, scarcely for a good man some would dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's not waiting for you to get, bad English, gooder. He's not waiting for you to get better. He's not waiting for you to improve your life. You know why? Because you can't. The Bible talks about God's glory being here, and the Bible said we've all come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All have sinned. God is simply saying, and the sinners that came to him said, look, we know that we're sinners. We know what we are, and we come to listen to you. The others say, no, 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 I don't need to repent. No, I don't need that, and God said, okay, I leave those. I'm going after that one. You're very valuable to God, but why? Why are you that valuable to God? Look at verse number 8, this next parable. Verse number 8 through 11. It's talking about a lost coin. Here's what we have. Now he goes from that and he says, either or, let me pose it to you another way. Either what woman having 10 pieces of silver, that's valuable. Silver's up, I think, right? Gold, silver, precious metals, they're way up right now. I'm assuming they were here too. If she lose one, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and, here it is, seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her neighbor, uh, she calleth her friends and neighbors together saying, "Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece that was lost, that I had lost." Now watch verse 10. Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. Not the angels. The angels aren't rejoicing. They have no understanding about salvation. It says in the presence of them. Well, who's in the presence of them? God and Jesus Christ. Watch what he says. For I have found, uh, likewise I say unto you, there's joy in heaven in the, in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repented. Now we go back for two verses. He is talking about a sinner as opposed to those that don't need him. But now we're talking about one piece of silver. To t- she still has 10 pieces. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? I have nine more pieces. Why do I have to sweep and say, I got to light a candle, got to go search for it, got to look under the bed, maybe it rolls. You ever notice when you drop something, it always rolls in a place you can't? I dropped a pill the other day, and I don't, it had wheels or something, I don't know. And I'm looking down here, it's not here, it's clear over here, it just kept rolling. It always seems to happen that way. You ever notice that? You drop something, and you're looking where you dropped it, but it didn't go there. What do they call that? Um, uh, Murphy's Law. Now, I don't know who this Murphy guy was. 
But that poor guy must have had a terrible life. Everything that happened is going to happen. And so you drop something and it goes. Now, I'm going to assume she lost something. Don't tell me you accidentally misplaced a piece of silver. And this day, it's very, very valuable. But she knew enough one day, she's counting. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. She couldn't find it. The Bible says she lights a candle. You know Jesus is the light of the world. He come to seek and to save that which was lost, right? That's what the Bible teaches. So she begins to look all over the house. That's not all. She begins to sweep out the house. By the way, isn't that what's supposed to happen when we get saved? Aren't we supposed to do some house cleaning when we get saved? Not to be saved, but now that I am saved, don't I have a few things to clean up? Besides that, you got one piece of silver. Come on, you still have nine more. What's the big deal? I've got nine, but she went after the one, said because it's lost and I need to find it. Do you understand how valuable you are to God? Do you know you're very valuable to God? But here's what you may not know is why. How valuable? Why am I so valuable? Look at me. Listen, listen. Here's the reason why. I want you to understand something. The Bible talks about Jesus coming to this earth. Jesus left the place we want to go to come to the place we want to leave. Think about that. Why would anybody do such a stupid thing? Because you're very valuable. He did that not for himself. He did that for you. He didn't, I'm sorry, he did it for the sinner. He come to seek and to save that which was lost. So he left the place we want to go to come down to the place we want to leave so we can go to the place he came from. Are you that, that? Think of the value of that. Think of how much that must mean. Do you do understand what Jesus went through, don't you? Don't you understand what Jesus went through for you? Have you forgot the story? Do you not rehearse it in your mind from time to time? When you hear about the crucifixion, do you not go back and start reminiscing and going through all the Bible factual things that Jesus went through? Maybe that way we could put a little value. A little value on what it cost God for your salvation. There was a day Jesus was with his disciples. By the way, it wasn't the only time it happened. A lot of people left Jesus. Boy, he had one of the first church splits ever. He made one statement. And the Bible said many of his disciples went away and followed him no more. Was left with 11 after multitudes were fed and taught and they saw miracles, all kinds of things going on. He makes one statement about constant, uh, uh, all-out dedication. And they said, whoa, wait a minute. You're asking way too much. You're asking me like to go to church all the time and, and, and tithe and, and, and go tell other people, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean, what, about the, what about the bread and the food and the, and the extra things and all the stuff we hang around you for? Yeah. He made one statement. Right. And the Bible said many of his disciples went away and followed him no more. Sometimes we look at preachers today and go, well, something must be wrong with him because uh, he had a church split. Jesus had a church split. Jesus had a church split. I think he's a pretty decent teacher. I know he's a great preacher. The Bible talks about he was teaching and preaching. So we find these things out, but please listen to me. He left heaven. Why would he leave heaven for you? Have you ever thought about that? Instead of just saying, he left heaven for me. No, but why? Why would he leave heaven for you? Why would he leave the place we dream of and pray about and study about and wonder about? We want to go there. He left there to come down. Why? Something must be of value. Something that must be very precious to him. Do you do know you were made in God's image? That doesn't mean you look like God. 
God said you have a body, soul, and spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're made in God's image. There's a lot of the likenesses of God's character that we have in us or should have in us. So God designed, first of all, God made Adam and said, you know something? I need somebody that I can walk with and fellowship with and talk, someone like me. So he made man. You were made to fellowship with God. You were not made to do whatever you want to do. You were not made to figure out whatever you want to do and go that direction. You were made to fellowship with God. In the beginning, God designed Adam, put him in a special place, and said every evening you and I will walk together and we'll have a great time together. Then he realized, okay, he has God, but he also needs ushers. Help me out here, please. Ushers. Ushers. Thank you. Quit talking. Listen to me. Come on in here. I need you to come down here and give him a place out for you. He's disturbing everybody. Right down here on the outside. Right down here. Hurry, 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 hurry. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. Not my fault he stayed up till three in the morning. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Everybody's watching you instead of me. Thank you. Now, listen to me carefully. Jesus left heaven. Look up here. Look up here. Yeah, you walk behind him. Don't walk in front of him. start all over now. Jesus left heaven. Why? And then he left heaven for you. Now let's be honest. Why? Let's be even more honest. We kind of know what we are even if nobody else does. The Bible says no man, no one knows a man better than the spirit of the man that's in him. You know you better than anybody else. There are things in your mind, your heart, and your life you're hoping nobody finds out. There are doubts and confusion that you have you hope nobody ever finds out. But God knew it all. He knows your mind. So now let's go back. Why in the world would he leave there to come here to save us? The only thing I'd come up with must be some value there somewhere. Now, again, I'm not talking about he's not that. We're talking in context. We're talking about the sinner. Why would he come searching for a sinner? Why would he leave 99 and go after one? Why would you have nine pieces of silver and yet you go look for one? You got nine. Why are you going after the one? Because it was lost and it has value. But do you understand why the value? Do you understand what Jesus went through? When is the last time you rehearsed in your heart and mind about what Jesus did for you? Do you remember at all? Do you remember bits and pieces? Is that all you remember? If you do, you're losing the value, the worth that you are to Christ. Whatever he gave is the value of what he came to get. Listen to me very carefully. So what happened? Jesus left heaven and come down here. Do you know even before he was born, he was being chased to be killed? Do you know after that, he had to flee his own country because he was being chased to be killed? You do understand that, right? When he turned 30, he began his earthly ministry. Only lasted about three, a little over three years maybe at the most. Three years. All of this that's going on about religion is because of a man coming down here for three years. He didn't write a poem. He didn't write a song. He didn't write a Bible. He didn't write anything like this. He had no sculptures, no, no, no nothing to bring about his own. He never traveled very much. And yet the whole world knows about Jesus Christ. We're trying so much for everybody to know us and we're going like, who are you? 
Nobody knows who you are. Wouldn't that, doesn't that just fry your bacon, you know? You think, it's, man, I, guy, I was knocking doors one day over on the other side of town in, in Reynoldsburg, and I didn't do it on purpose. I didn't know the guy lived there. I just knocked on the door, and I'm talking to my partner there, and I look up, and he's standing right there on the screen. And he said, can I help you? I said, oh, hello, I'm George Bell, and this is, you know, I did my old introduction thing. And I said, we're just out here uh, talking to people about where they go to church. They'd like you to come to church. You're soliciting, you know that, don't you? I said, well, no, sir, I don't think so. Do you even know the meaning of soliciting? I said, well, yes, sir, I think I do. I have stupid written here. I said, well, I think so, but I'm not out here selling anything. I'm not making anybody take anything. I'm just showing myself friendly from door to door. No, what you're doing is soliciting. You know, I could have you put in jail. I said, oh, do you know who I am? And this is the part that fries them. In their own mind, like politicians, they're somebody. And in all innocence, I told the guy, I said, no, sir, I don't. You could almost see his countenance change. Little horns came up, fire around him. I am the mayor of Reynoldsburg. I said, sir, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. I didn't pick his house just to irritate him. I just, this is my street. I'm knocking doors. Hello, how are you? And the guy said, I can have you put in jail. So I just told him, I said, well, sir, you're going to have to do what you think is necessary, and I'm going to have to do what I think is necessary. He told me I should stop. I said, I can't do that. I told my partner, who was brand new, out of it. I said, look, I'm aware of what may happen. You can go on back, and I'm going to go on. He said, no, no, I'll stay with you. Well, we went on back, and my preacher Looked at me, said, what'd you do today? See, you're guilty until proven innocent, right? That's the American way now. And uh, I told him what happened. He said, I got a call from the mayor. I said, oh, what happened? So I told him, told him the whole story. He said, did you get upset about it? No. Did you yell a scream? Nope. Here's what he said. Here's what I said. Okay. He wants me to come in and talk to him. Now, the guy's not saying, he lived right next door to the biggest Methodist church, United Methodist Church in town. It's a big old thing, okay? You know it's real Christianity because they have stained glass windows and, and, and crosses on top. A lady told me one time, she said, you don't, you're not a real church. She told me in the storefront. I said, ma'am, what are you talking about? She said, I checked you out. You have no stained glass windows. You have no cross on top of your building. And you're not registered with the Ohio Council of Churches. I said, I did not know that's what qualified you as a church. She didn't like that. Anyway, so uh, my brother, who was my pastor at the time, uh, the guy said, I need you in my office as soon as possible. We need to talk. So my brother got a deacon and went over and talked to the guy. And uh, my brother said to this guy, he said, uh, so when he came, was he upset with you? No, no. Was he polite? Yeah, he was polite. Now, this is the mayor talking to my preacher. He said, did he, did he do something he should not have done other than what you call slip? Nope, nope. He was very kind about the whole thing. He said, do you even know what he was talking about? Nope, no idea. Would you like to know what he was doing at your door? Yes, I would. So my preacher starts telling him the same thing I was going to tell him at the door. And he tells him all of this, and he finally says, Sir, if you don't get saved, went through the whole Romans roadmap, telling him why he's a sinner, why Jesus died for him, how he needed to be saved, how to go about it. And the guy, and then told him, said, Sir, if you don't, there's only one home for you, and that's hell. Here's what the mayor said. Why didn't my reverend say something about that? She never says anything like that. Very wisely, my preacher said, You know what I would do? I would go ask him why the Bible says that when you don't say anything. 
So the guy said, here's what you're going to do from now. You're going to sign in when you get ready to go out witnessing. You're going to tell us how many are going out. You're going to tell us where you're going to be and when you're going to be done. My preacher got up and said, no, sir, we won't be done with you. And by the way, I didn't get arrested. I'm still here. Still love Jesus. So you have to understand something. You have Jesus coming down here and said, I love you this much. Why? Why would he do that with people like that? Okay, forget the mayor, which I did. What about me? What about you? What do you do when you're running the streets? What do you do when you're at work? What do you do when you go to school? What do you do in your neighborhood? What do you do in your home? Now think, why would he die for you? There must be some value there somewhere. Not what we have to offer him, but how could we possibly evaluate why Jesus would leave heaven to come down here for people like us? Okay, well, let's examine a little bit of what he went through. Maybe that will help. You know, when Jesus came down and started his ministry, right off the bat, the devil attacked him. From that point on, it was relentless. It just never stopped. The questioning, the lying, the deceiving, the trying to set him up and set him in a trap. And Jesus faced all of that. And then one day he was in his place of prayer. You know, the Garden of Gethsemane. He was in his place of prayer and one of his own, he chose and made them an apostle. You know, sometimes you choose people and they turn out to be a, where's that, where's that shirt? Oh, man, leave. He's got a church on there that said, I'm surrounded by fakes and snakes. I said, what does that mean? He goes, I don't know. And, uh, but listen, people in church are just human beings. But you know what you are with God. Amen. So Jesus came down. He went through all that. And then one night when he was in the garden praying, Judas came up, listen, kissed the door of heaven and left. He was that close to having salvation. Walked with Jesus and heard him pray, do miracles, feed people, teach, do all these things, and yet would not believe that Jesus was the Christ. So he ended up being one of these two crowds right here in verse number one and verse number two, and he turned away in his own self-righteousness. And when the Bible says later on that he repented, he repented that he betrayed the innocent blood. He did not repent for salvation. Judas was never saved. But going on with our story. Jesus was turned over and now starts an entire week. He was set aside for four days. Examined, lied about, on and on and on. They took Jesus at night, which they didn't do, before a court, not all of them were there, and began to question him. They were looking for lies. They were trying to set him up. They needed a reason to crucify him, and they were going to find it if they had to lie about the whole thing. So your Savior, you want to know what your value is? He stood there in front of everybody and they made fun of him and they mocked him and they stripped him and embarrassed him and shamed him. Why would he do that? Because you're very valuable. They did all of that and as time went on, they passed him from Herod to Pilate and back again. And both of them said, both of them, both of them said I find no fault in this man. But the crowd didn't want to hear it. No, no, no. Release to us a murderer and someone guilty of sedition trying to overthrow the government. He's a murderer and 
committing sedition. We'll take him. What, what am I supposed to do with Jesus? Crucify him. Crucify him. Pilate, being the, being the uh, uh, politician, okay, that's up to you. I'm washing my hands of the whole thing as though that's going to do it. Then starts a terrible, terrible four days that will lead to the crucifixion. The Bible teaches us in various places in, in Psalm 21, Isaiah 53, on and on and on. All these places, Zechariah, all these places, things they did to your Savior. Now I'm just asking you, he left heaven to go through this and more. Why? Why would he do that? Why would Jesus go through all of that for you? Think about you. Couldn't make an excuse on you're not that bad. Yes, you were. You're this bad. Jesus had to die for you. You couldn't go to heaven. That's how bad you are. So why, why, why would he give himself? But the Bible said while he stood there, they made fun of him. They stripped him down. Then the Bible said, I used to have one. I don't know what happened. I've been searching for it. Do you know what a cat of nine tails is? <coughs> do you know what that is? Give me, uh, come up here. Uh, here, you'll do it. Come on up here. Hurry. Here's what they used to do to people. Because they would strip them down a lot of times to the waist or completely, and then they would stretch them out like this and tie them down. And a lot of times they would, what are you doing? Like that? They would tie them down, and a Roman soldier who was very good, which this was legal, this was legal. According to the law, you could give 39 stripes, save one. They didn't want to break the religious law. So they would stand here and they would have like a long stick or a club of some kind with nine pieces of leather coming off of that. On the end of that leather would either be pieces of metal or pieces of bone. And they would stand there and when they would do that, they would slash like this. It would grab and then they would pull like that. Hey, shut up. After a while, sometimes it actually almost cut a man in half. Their bowels would gush out. They would bleed profusely. A lot of the stomach muscles in the side and the buttocks would all be torn open. Why? I'm questioning. Why would Jesus go through this? He was in heaven and he left this. He left this. Hey, Brother Dave, help me. Just, just take me out. You need to go on out. I want you to knock it off. Go on out right now. Let's go. Let's go. Get up and go. You wanted attention. You're getting it. Go on out. I want you to understand something, no matter what you think or what I just did. Teenagers and people aren't running this place. It's not going to happen. What you think about it, not going to happen. You're not talking when I talk. You're not making noise and giggling when I'm talking about my Savior dying. Not going to do it. You're welcome to leave anytime you want to, and that's fine with me. But you're not going to stay in here and run this place. Yeah. You understand? They would take a cat of nine tails, and those nine lashes, they would come around and slap him across the back all the way down. Each one of those was considered one. It wasn't nine. They swung one time, times nine times 39, your Savior. Then they took him from there and they put back on his own coat and clothes. Do you know when blood begins to dry, it turns into a scab? Yeah. 
called coagulation. And his clothes would begin, that blood would begin to seep through his clothes and adhere to his back. And then they brought him back in and questioned him some more. Your Savior was up an entire day. And then early the next morning, they started all over again. In one place it said he was surrounded by a whole band of Roman soldiers, a whole band of them. Your dangerous Savior, a whole band of soldiers. And the Bible said that they, they put on him a royal robe, a, a, a certain color robe, and they all knelt down. Hail, king of the Jews. They're mocking. They're making fun. They start laughing at him. Somebody gets the bright idea. Who's got a beard in here? Anybody? Who does? Paul Gooding. Brother Gooding, can I borrow you for a moment? Come on up here, my brother. How are you this morning? be after I'm done. The Bible says in one place that they pulled out his beard. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a beard. For some reason, it's not even like the hair on your head. It just doesn't want to let go. You know what I'm talking about? Your, your wife has done that a lot of times. If I were to grab him and jerk a handful of beard out, probably what would happen, I would have to jerk him all over the platform before I could do that. And when you finally do, immediately begins to swell and get puffy and very, very tender. How many times they did that, I don't know, but the Bible said they pulled out his beard. Then the Bible says that they buffeted him in his eyes. Buffet sounds like a very kind word. It actually means they blacked his eyes. I'm talking about your Savior. So they pulled out his beard, they blackened his eyes, as he stood there defenseless. Now, first of all, he didn't have to do this. I talked about this last week, I believe. He could have called 12 legions of angels and they would have delivered him. But he willingly, why, why would he do that? Why would Jesus do that for you? Why would Jesus put up with that? Why would Jesus take a beating like that? Why would Jesus take the embarrassment like that? Doesn't that help you understand just maybe a little bit of how valuable you must be? Because he wasn't dying for himself. He was dying for you, a sinner, just like those parables right there. And here's the part you and I would never put up with. See, we even giggle at that like, oh, man. You know how enraged with fury you would be for somebody to do that to you? I dare say you wouldn't put up with it. That happened several times. So now his face is, listen to me, his face is swollen. His eyes are blackened. They have spit in his face. It's running down his beard. Tears are falling down his face. And he stands there taking it. Look at me. Look at me. Why? Why? Why would he do Come on. You know what you are, right, if you're honest? Why, why would he do this? There must be. It's not because we were good. It's not because we, we, we could change. It's not because. No, no. There, there must be some value he has put on us. Why else would he do this? Hold on. Give me, give me, give me that crown for me. You don't mind me putting a crown for me, right? Your brother, your brother, I did. This is a real crown of thorns. So please do not mess with this. These are not rubber. This is not fake. This is real. And these Roman soldiers, the Bible said, they platted it on his head. They put it on and then twisted it to hold it. They didn't form it over here and go, okay, here. 
and one little trickle of blood running down here. That's Catholic pictures. That is not Bible at all. You say, oh, that's terrible. Oh, no, we're not near being done. So I'm going to put this on his head. He's standing there with his tears and spittle running down his face. His eyes are black. To what extent, I do not know. His face is swelling up. His back and insides are all laid open, and he's just standing there. Why? Listen to me. Why would he do that? Why would he go through all of that? My point is you must be very valuable to him. He's not dying for himself. He's dying for sinners. Like our narrative here in the first two verses, those that don't want to hear this and could care less, he's not dying for you. He's dying for those that are sinners and lost. If you're not a sinner and you don't agree with God and you don't think you're lost, he, he's not dying for you. He's not coming for you. He's coming to seek and to save that which was lost. And if you don't believe you're lost, he can't save you. It's not that he doesn't want to. He can't because you won't let him. So they put a crown of thorns on his head. And you say, oh, this is all terrible. Oh, oh, you think that's all that happened? His back is laid open. Then the Bible said they took a club. To what length? What weight? I do not know. I do know they were Roman soldiers. And I know they didn't play. They conquered the whole known world. These men didn't play games. While your Savior, he's not fighting back, he's just staying there. And by the way, the Bible said he opened not his mouth. He never said one word. You know what you and I would be saying? And the Bible said they took a club and they beat him in the head after they did that. After they did that. After they did that. After they laid his back open with a cat of nine tails. After they embarrassed him with nakedness and making fun of him, mocking him as being a king. He went through all of this. Why? Why? Why would somebody do that? Why would somebody do that for, listen to me, make it personal, you. Well, for the whole world. No, 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 no. Make it personal. It was personal when you got saved. It's personal when he went through this for you. For God so loved the world, and that's true. But you are a part of that world. See, that's the 100, he went after the one. That was the 10 pieces, and he searched till he found, she did, until she found the one. Are you listening to me? Maybe it will help you to understand. If you simply go back through the Gospels and start reasoning, first of all, for those four days, not only all of that, there was no sleep and no eating and no drinking during that time. Four days with all that beating. By the way, we haven't got to the crucifixion yet. That is leading up to it. Those are the four days according to Exodus chapter number 12 through 14 about the examination of the lamb before it can be sacrificed. Jesus, if he is the type and shadow of that, had to be examined and set aside for four days to make sure by every means nothing was wrong, there was no fault, no sin. He had to be the Savior. They watched him for four days and the final judgment was this, I find no fault in him. He said, why'd they crucify him? It's God's plan. But why? Why would God plan such a thing? As the song said, there simply was no other way. There simply was no other way. Everything and more that he, honestly, if I took this man and put him through everything, he would die before I ever got to the end of it. He would be screaming out and calling his attorney and asking everybody to help. And the Bible said, Jesus opened not his mouth. 
For this cause came I to die. For this cause came I to die. I came to seek and to save. That was the cause. That was my father's will and that's why I showed up. Do you understand how valuable you are to God? That and much more. And then they took him out to crucify him. Do you know they used to have, the Romans were very good at what they did. Crucifixion was capital punishment. You had to be guilty of a capital crime. That's why they said everybody was was accursed. Everybody said, oh, he must have done something horrible. No politicians in the world did something horrible. They took him out there. He didn't fight. And they laid him down. He carried his own cross. Quit, Quit buying into these movies where he fell on the way to the cross. No place in the Bible does it say that. Well, they got somebody to carry it. That's true. But didn't say because he fell under the weight. If that's the reason, then Jesus told us, pick up your cross and follow me. That means after a point, I could fall under the weight of it too. And that's not true. They took Jesus out and drove spikes into his hands and to his feet. And they say that when they took this and they would take this cross and there was a socket in the earth and as they lifted it up like that, all of a sudden, it would slip down in there. Boom! The weight of the cross and that man would hit the bottom. Psalm says that every joint was out of place. You ever had a bone out of joint? Collarbone? Elbow? Knee? Something? Very painful. No water, no food, almost dead. Put him on a cross, put it there, and then they watched. As I said last week, well, if you're the son of God, deliver yourself. And then the thief said, if you're the son of God, save thyself and us. He couldn't do that. He had to die or you couldn't be saved. Jesus had all this in mind, and finally he said, Lama, 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 Sabbatani, and he's saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken Jesus had never tasted sin ever. And now he is taking that bitter cup, the sin of the whole world from Adam to the last man, and on that cross it was dumped on him. You ever have a bad day? I mean, your head hurts, people fussing with you, nothing goes right, everything's going wrong. You say, I can't take it anymore. One day, one person. One day, one person. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And all at once, it was dumped on him on that cross. And the Bible said he drank it. He took it. He was put on the cross at 9 in the morning and was there until 3 in the afternoon. At 12 o'clock, the skies darkened as though God put a covering between him and his son. And the Bible said he could not look upon him Not because he had sinned, but because of our sin. Why would he do that? Why would he leave his father? Why would he leave heaven? Why would he go through all of this? Do you not begin to understand? You must be very valuable to God. Like the one sheep that, I don't know where it's at, but I'm going to go find it. I'm sorry, you guys don't need me right now. I'll go over here. I'll go clear out on the hillside somewhere and find that one. That one piece of silver, look, you still got nine. Jesus said, no, 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 got to find that one. Got to search. Somebody light some light around here. Somebody go search for that one that's lost. And they found it and they rejoiced. 
Do you understand no matter what kind of life you live, when you get saved, there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repented more than the 99 that need no repentance. You made heaven rejoice. And you didn't do anything to deserve it. I'm going where he come from. He left to come down here. Don't you hate being down here sometimes? All the abuse, the sadness, the divorces, the hunger. Just everything's falling apart. Would you volunteer to come to this world? Seriously. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm, I wouldn't go through this. You say, what about your family? I don't know. It's pretty bad. I would leave a heavenly place to come here and die for bad people? Your Savior did. Why? He already had heaven. He already had the Father. Why? Because you see, you were made to fellowship with God. God made you for Him. God made you for Him. Adam and Eve messed up, didn't they? And so God already had a plan in place. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He didn't make them make that decision, but he knew they were going to. See, you're, free will, you're a free moral agent. You have a will. So if you're not saved, it's because you will not. And if you're saved, it's because you will. It's a law of God, Romans chapter number 8, I think it is. Now we're going to take him crucify him. I'm going to drive a spike through here to a piece of wood and right through here and I'm going to put his feet and I'm going to drive and I'm going to watch him die. And while I'm watching him die, I'm going to question him. I'm going to make fun of him. And by the way, all of his friends left. He's all by himself. What about those people that said we believe in Jesus? What about the people he fed? What about the people he healed? What about his own apostles? What about those that followed and listened to his teaching? Where were they? Father, the guy just got through sticking him in the side with a spear. He's about ready to die. And you know what God said? Forgive them. I know what they're doing. You're saved. to be some value. We're not worth anything. But by what he did, it showed you how valuable you are to him. You follow me? Any volunteers? Your Savior went through this. Shouldn't be that tough, right? Somebody made me a cat of nine tails. Let's just check it out tonight. See how much you can put up with. Oh, we'll do it within the law. Only 39 times. If you die, it's not my fault. You couldn't take me spitting in your face in front of your brother. You'd rebel, you'd draw back, you'd, you'd pitch a fit, and you know you would. So why? Why? For you? For what you are? Why? Because you're very valuable to God. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Eh, it doesn't matter, I guess. What do you mean it doesn't matter? 
What do you mean? It doesn't matter. Why doesn't God do What do you mean, why doesn't God do something? Look what he did. Look what he went. What do you mean, why didn't God step in and do God stepped in and did it all. For you. For me. Then they buried him. Then they lied. When they finally said, uh, he got, somebody got him out of the grave. And they paid off the Roman soldiers and said, here's what you're going to tell people. His disciples came and got him out of there at night. So let me see. Roman soldiers against some disciple. It was sealed and had the authority seal on it. And they moved this stone. Because you remember when they came early in the morning, they said, who's going to move the stone? It's a huge stone. It's not like a pebble. And let me get this right. So the disciples fought off a band of Roman soldiers, moved a great big stone, and snuck him away Nobody knew it until next morning. Up from the grave he rose. Not only that, check this out. Not only did he go through all of this and said, okay, you're saved, now it's up to you. We'd have been a goner the very next day. Probably the same day. But you know what he did? John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there sinners, sinners, sinners that are saved. He didn't just save you. He said, now look, i got a place for you. I'm not going to leave you here. I'll even give you the Holy Spirit of God while you're here. And I'll give you a Bible and I'll give you a local church and I'll give you brothers and sisters in Christ. I'll give you everything you possibly need now to live for me. And then when all is said and done, I'm going to take you to heaven. You're going to meet my father. We're going to live together forever like a bride and a bridegroom. It's going to be so wonderful. Why? I don't deserve this. You don't deserve that. Why would he do all this? Look at this last one, would you please? Luke chapter 15. Remember, we're talking about these two different types of people here. Publicans and sinners, they came to hear. Pharisees and scribes, we don't believe this. We're just going to murmur and complain. We just come to be critics. We didn't come to listen to the Bible. We come to find out what we like and don't like, what we already believe and don't believe. And Jesus said... I didn't come for you. I came for them. He didn't say I come to search and to seek that which is pretty good people. We come, if you would please, over here to verses 11 through 32. And here's what we have. We have two, two, two sons. So we've gone from one to 100, one to 10, now we have one to one. One to one? I mean, come on. It's just one. It's just one. Jesus come for that one. One. We find out here there was a man here. By the way, this is just a parable, so every fact does not necessarily apply in the whole thing. Watch what it says. So we have this young man, for some reason, decides, you know something? I'm of age, I have an inheritance. I'm missing out on the world. I mean, come on, look what's out there. 
you kidding me? We could party. I could run around. Man, I could, I could, I could make a great job for myself. I could advance. Man, there's so much I'm missing out on by, by just hanging around. So he takes off. His father says, okay, your health, I gave that to you. That's yours. Your ability to learn, I gave that to you. That's yours. Take all that with you. He takes off. He heads out in the world. While he's out in the world, go down to verse number 13. Not many days the younger gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance on riotous living. Now, I know, I know I can smell the word burning right now. Well, see, I don't live like that and I'm not that kind of a person and, and I don't waste things and I'm very frugal and I'm very kind to people. Oh, so you're like the Pharisee there that we read about. You're still telling God and everybody how good you are instead of simply saying, Jesus died for sins. I receive it. I accept that. So here what we have, he takes off, verse 14, and when he had spent all, doesn't this make sense? There you are scraping by and something really bad, unexpected, unexpected happened. You ever notice that? You ever notice when something unexpected happens? And he said, there arose a mighty famine in the land and began to be in want. He needed some things and nobody could help him. Why? A famine was in the land. He already had spent everything and wouldn't you know it? I'm having a tough time now, my car broke down. Man, I don't believe this. I was doing okay, and then I got COVID. Actually, you're going to get a lot sicker from the shots, but that's okay. We'll talk about that another time. So what happens here is this. Watch the downward spiral. He would feign. That means he would gladly, with pleasure, fill his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. It's a Jewish boy taking care of pigs. And when he came to himself, it's about time. Man, how long are you going to stay out here? Will you just come to yourself this morning and think? The Bible said he came to, that means he's thinking. He's there by himself. He's sitting on a fence watching these pigs thinking, boy, if nobody was looking, I'd grab that food from them pigs. I'd probably eat it. He's desperate now. Wait a minute, what are we talking about? We're talking about a lost boy. We're talking about an unsaved boy. And watch what happens. And he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I, he said, look, I know God's got this and God's got that. And I've heard people in church talk about that. And I've read the Bible a little bit. And I know about this. And I know about that. But you're going to stay right there on the pig pen, aren't you? After your Savior that went through all this and much, much more, you're going to ignore all this and go do what you want to do, right? Do you know how valuable you are to God? If you were one boy out there in that filth of this city somewhere and nobody cared about you and it was all your decision. You decided to go away. You decided to run your own life. You decided to end up there. I didn't, I, I didn't make the famine happen, but it happened. I, I, I didn't mean for this to happen. I, I spent everything because I, I was just, I was having a fun time. Can somebody help me now? Nobody helped him. Oh, somebody gave him a job working with pigs. What happens? All of a sudden, he's sitting there desiring pig food. Listen to me now. Here's what happened. How smart. Finally, finally, after all that, you wasted everything that God gave you. You went out and made friends with people you should have never been around. All of a sudden, the older son said he made he, he was he was partying, if you would, with whores. It says so over in the later verses. Everybody heard. Everybody heard what he was doing up there. That's kind of embarrassing, isn't it? Dads and moms get that way. We get a little upset and a little embarrassed when our kids do that. 
That's what this boy was doing. Then it dawned on him, what am I doing? Why am I out here? Dad warned me. I, I've heard about this. This isn't right. And look what happened. I don't know how long this went on, but watch what he did. He came to himself. What a smart kid. And finally it dawned on him. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to rise. I'm going to get up from here. I'm going to go to my father. Well, it's about time. Are you going to get up from here and leave? You're not saved. You're not doing what's right. You're hoping nothing else happens because you're barely making ends meet. Or maybe you're living, no pun intended, high on the hog. Oh, you're just having a gay old time. You think that's going to last forever? Watch what happened. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. By the way, all sin is against heaven first, against God. So he goes back to his father. Now he has no idea what his father's going to do. He has no idea when he comes to church, when he, when he kneels down, if God will ever accept him. He doesn't know. And yet watch what happens. He's got to go back and face his father. Now here's what most of us would do. Look here. So what have you been doing out there? I warned you about this, didn't I? And now you're coming back home because you have no place to go, right? You know what your father's going to do? Watch what happens. Verse 19, I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy sons. He's repenting. He said, this one I'm going to tell my dad when I get back home. This one I'm going to tell my father. Verse number 20, he arose and came to his father. He left that life and said, the only hope I've got is get back home to my father. I've got to go to my father. Watch what happens. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. Can't you see him? By the way, your father in heaven's doing this right now. Come on. Come on. You know that's the truth. Come on. Come on. No, I'm not mad at you. Come on. No, I hate sin, but I love you. Come on. You're very valuable. Come on. Come on. I'm waiting for you. Can't you see the son as he comes over wondering, oh, I wonder what dad's going to think. I, I, I know what I'm going to tell you. No matter what he does, I'm going to tell him I'm not worthy to be his. I just make me a servant. Anything, please, just accept me. So he's thinking about this coming over. And his father, I don't know if every day he was doing, not yet. Not yet. He sees me. It's okay. That's not what he said. The boy ran to his father. And here's what he said. But when his father, when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said, he, he, he said, I got to confess. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with, with the mouth confession is made unto seven. You're going to have to tell God you're a sinner. You're not going to whitewash that. You're going to have to agree with him about what he says about you. You're lost and you're a sinner, and Jesus, you died for me. Amen. Watch what happens here. And the son said to the father, I have sinned. Yep. Against heaven, always, and in thy sight. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Your claim to Jesus Christ is not because of you. You are not worthy to claim him. It's because of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're very valuable to him. 
But the father said, oh, bring the robe. Come on, bring a robe. Put a, put a ring of love on his, on his, on his hand and shoes on his feet. We, we need to start walking together again. And look at his feet. They're all bloody and they're all dirty. And we need to get this cleaned up. Come on, son. Come on. So he went and he confessed. He went to face his father. He got everything right. And now they're going on their way. And now they're rejoicing. For this, my son, verse 24, this, my son, was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. And they begin to be merry. Ladies and Gentlemen, doesn't make any difference how sinful you are. God died for sinners. Jesus died for sinners, of which we all are. Everything he went through was to save you. But why? What is the big deal? Why did he do it? Because you're very valuable. So the next time you kneel down or you're in church and you wonder to yourself, yeah, I'm saved. I've been going to church all my life. No big deal, huh? Not much value in that, huh? I mean, why do we have to do this? Yeah, that's a good point. Hmm. Well, let's see. What's the point? What's the big deal? Beaten with a cat of nine tails until your guts have fallen out? Stripped and made fun of? Spit in the face? Your eyes were black? Hadn't even been crucified yet. What's the big deal? Oh, I can't stay awake on Sunday morning. Oh, I'm just so tired. You never say that when you out run around sin, do you? People in sin can stay at the bar and run around all night long and go at it again the next day. But something happens to us when we become a Christian. I guess he's just not worth it. Well, he thinks you're worth it. You're very valuable, God. The boy got home. Now, by the way, the older brother, he ain't buying it. He's not buying it. You know what he did? Father, you, you, you never threw a party for me. Now, this guy had been living out in sin. All of a sudden, he comes in, all's forgiven, everything's okay. Yes. Yes. Don't you find that amazing? You drunkard, whoremonger, thief. Dopehead, drunkard. Okay, let's just do it. You're just not saved, and you're a great business person. Not so bad. Jesus had to die for you. That's how bad you are. And now it's no big deal. Take it or leave it. I don't know why he had to die for me. Because you are a rotten, filthy, worthless hell-bound sinner. You got the picture? Quit thinking you're good. You're deceiving yourself. You're being lied to. You're lying to yourself. How bad was it? It's the only hope you had. Nothing less than that can save you. But why? One out of 99? Not sure what the big deal is there. Still had 99 there somewhere. One out of 10? Oh, you got nine more, and it's silver. What's the big deal? Because I lost one. One out of one. When I was down in uh, Ghana, we were there, and they took me to a place. It's called uh, the inf- information. They call it an information center or whatever. And you go up in this certain place, and it's like five stories up, and and it's just like a big elevator shaft. It goes straight up like this, and it steps all the way up. About almost to the top, there's one room there, 
and they have this um, uh, like radio equipment stuff in there, and you get on there, and uh, he'll introduce you, and then so that day he wanted me to talk about eternal security and salvation. So he said, now people will call in and they'll ask questions. I said, okay. Now you know what that means. Any question they ask, you have to know your Bible. So I guess some of us are not getting on the radio, are we? Okay. And so I'm sitting there, and he said, by the way, we stopped before we went, and he said, look at this. In that one area, there, he said there's over 20,000 people in that market area. He said, they'll be listening. They've got great big speakers all over, open air speakers. And I, I thought, who's going to be listening? These people are fixing food. They're selling food. They're running back and forth. They're talking. Some of them are singing. They're playing their own music. Who's going to be listening? Think about our world. People running around, bumping into each other, playing their music, doing what they want to do, coming, going, they please. Who's listening? I was uh, got done. Hello, yes, this is station so-and-so and so, and uh, glad to have you. What's your question? And the guy said, oh, that's important. So he told me the question there in uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 21, the latter part, I think it was. And I flipped to there, and I looked at that for a moment. And I tried to, you only have so much time, I tried to describe to him. When it was done, there was this man standing at the doorway. And the preacher I was with looked at him and went, like, okay, you're in the wrong place, go downstairs. And uh, so he did. We got done, walked down the bottom of the steps, and there he was. He was standing there. Now, in America, my first thought is, oh, boy, an argument. Right? First thing, because that's America. We don't listen. We like to argue our point. So I'm standing down there. I didn't know if the guy spoke English. And so I'm going through my interpreter, the preacher that was with me, and I said, you need to ask him, does he believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God? And the guy goes, yes, I do. I said, oh, you speak English? Yes, I do. I said, oh, great. That's going to make it a lot easier. So we begin to, he didn't want to argue. He said, I've been trying to tell other people what that phrase means in the middle of all those verses. So we got to talking about it. He goes, that answers everything. Thank you very much. In the middle of those 20,000 people coming and going and running here and there, everybody doing what they think is important, just trying to do the best they can, somebody was listening. One out of 100. One out of 10. I don't care if it's one out of one. Your Savior. You must have thought you were worth it. simply was no other way. So now when you look at yourself and you look at him, he did not save you and come to die for you because you deserve it or you've suffered enough or you've had a hard life. Everybody's had a hard life. He come to seek and to save that which was lost. No matter if you're one out of 20,000, one out of 100, one out of 10, just you and another person. He died for you. 
what you need to do is what that we call the prodigal son need to do. I think maybe you need to run to God and say, I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. And the reason that you will be forgiven has nothing to do with you other than you, by faith, obeyed what God said to do. Confess you're a sinner, that he's the only Savior. It'd be like running home and saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I know I don't deserve anything. I know that. Just make me a servant, just a servant. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So I'm going to have to come and seek to save them. And that will be you. You're very valuable. So the next time, lost or saved, you forget what this is all about. You may want to remember, you're awful valuable to me. You hold me back. But by what he did for you, will tell you what he thinks about the value of you. Father.